Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. Have you ever traveled on a ski trip as an avid skier, a beginner, or just someone who enjoys mountain views and partying? Our guest on this episode is Harvey Bierman, Chief Digital Officer for Christie Sports. Harvey is one of the few people who can claim to have won a high school and collegiate ski racing championship in the same state. We'll be talking about skiing in general and then discuss some of our favorite ski areas worldwide and in the States. Welcome, Harvey, to Places I Remember. Thank you. So you started off skiing in New Jersey. In fact, during high school, I hear you took the chairlift at Hidden Valley home each day since the school bus dropped you off in the parking lot there. (laughs) I did. Yeah, I uh, literally took the chairlift home when it was open. From How did you take it lot. home? How did you take it home? It just, just went to your home? Oh, I just, okay. <laughs> yeah, I literally walked to the chairlift from the parking lot in my Capizios wow. <laughs> and uh, took the chairlift to the top and my home was right at the top of the chairlift. Oh, it was destined to be a ski person. I can see that. So what has made skiing special for you? You know, there's probably three things about skiing that I love so much. One is that it's an individual expression sport. Everyone has their own style or their own enjoyment that they get out of skiing. It might be the upright part. It might be being outside. It might be being with friends or family. For me, it's the apex of the turn. The, just the geometric, biometric, physics part of it is so rewarding when it's done well. And you know, there's a saying, you've never skied the perfect turn. As much as you might have thought the last turn you skied was the best turn you ever skied, there's something about it you can improve. And that construct of constant improvement is something that probably mirrors my life. How interesting. Is that especially so in powder snow or does it matter if you're on icy terrain or is it always a feeling? You know, it's probably a concept that ski racers have more than others, but it doesn't really matter. I'm sure, you know, people that jump off cliffs feel that there's something about their time in the air that wasn't accurate or right. Guys in the park or gals in the park probably have the same point of view. Clearly powder skiing. I just got back from a trip to Steamboat this last weekend and had a foot of fresh snow. And, you know, every run there was one or two turns. I wish I could have skied better. So I think it, it transcends all skiing styles and, and skiing personalities. Interesting. How about some quick tips on learning to ski for, for beginners? Yeah, be ready. <laughs> I guess don't have high expectations. Don't go beyond your ability when you start. Get a lesson, get the right gear, set yourself up for success. and enjoy the progress, right? Recognize that day one is going to be pretty horrible and you might not feel great. Get back out there for day two because it will be better. And I guarantee you on that third day, even better. Absolutely. I mean, I like going on a mountain where I feel comfortable, where I can handle it. And uh, then I can go up to the next one satisfied, but I'm not rushing to black diamonds. <laughs> I, I was in the bunnies area a long time, but that was so satisfying. And when I was beginning and learning it, I would sing a song to myself. Uh, it would happen to be Long and Winding Road by the Beatles. And it was very pleasant. I got me in the zone and I forgot all the little things, all, you know, you worry about and you just sort of feel it a little bit, even as a beginner. So uh, I, I really enjoyed that part, feeling I was getting better because I stayed at it. Yeah, I was joking just this weekend when I was skiing. Usually there's songs in my head when I sing. If 
if I don't have music going. I actually was humming Christmas carols for some stupid reason. Ooh, that's appropriate. <laughs> I was, I've heard to focus on your outside ski. Is that true? I don't think anything's quite so simple about skiing. But yes, as a general rule, it is the outside ski that, that creates the turn. It's a little more nuanced and not quite as technical, maybe as that sounds. But the downhill or outside ski is the one, in fact, that helps you change direction. I was talking with my sons when we first went skiing, and it happened to be in Jersey, in New Vernon Valley. Yeah. We went to, we lived in the New York area, and they gave us a quick lesson. It was too quick because we thought you just go straight down the hill. So all of us just went on the, off the lift straight down the hill. And I remember my younger son, you're, you're doing great. You went really fast. And we didn't know what we were doing. We thought hitting someone was the way to stop. But I've learned since that it's the pleasure of turning, as you say. And it's a good thing I learned it. Tell us about backcountry skiing. There's a lot of flavors of backcountry skiing, but generally it's human-powered uphill and human-powered downhill. Sometimes it happens outside of a resort, just on that we call it the side country. So you take the chairlift up and maybe you head out a gate and explore on outside of the perimeter of the resort. Sometimes you drive or walk or hike to some mountain in the middle of nowhere or maybe somewhere close. Just power yourself up the hill via your skis or your snowboard and then enjoy the ride down on your own. Yeah, this is uh, not for beginners, am I correct? It's not for beginners. It's not for the ill-equipped. And then it's also not for the uninformed. Depending on where you live, depending on the terrain, it can be very dangerous. Avalanches can happen naturally on any slope that is over a certain degree. And knowledge of the snow, knowledge of the conditions, knowledge of the terrain, knowledge of the just the natural paths of snow is really critical. And, and unfortunately, here in Colorado... In Utah and many of the mountain states of the West, there's deaths every single year related to, to avalanches by the most informed and the most skilled backcountry skiers. So it's not something to take lightly. It's also very interesting. It's it's a little bit of European culture coming back into the U.S. Uh, the Europeans have been very much into backcountry skiing. What are they called? Off-piste. 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 Yeah. yeah. A.T. A.T. Okay. I mean, there's no patrol there usually. So you're really on your own. The trails aren't groomed. And it's for people who are risk takers, but also know what they're doing and are informed, as you said. Yeah. With one exception there, it is, you know, you're on your own with the elements uh, and you don't realize how much ski areas do to control, maintain, and provide a safe experience. There's actually a ski area here in Colorado called Bluebird Backcountry, which formed about three or four years ago, who's brought controlled terrain to the backcountry. So it's basically a backcountry ski area but it's patrolled, it's avalanche mitigated, and it's intended to bring people into the backcountry in a controlled, safer environment. Interesting. Well, you mentioned snowboarding just now. It's become very popular in recent years. What's the biggest difference from skiing? The differences are many, besides obviously the equipment and standing sideways versus facing downhill. It's a different sense of movement because of that. It is much more of a skateboard or a snowboard movement whereas skiing is much more of a skating movement and it may be very nuanced. There's something different about having your feet planted sideways versus independently moving, you know, vertically. Well, you have um, to keep your knees bent correctly the whole time. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to bend your knees in all of those winter like sports because, the you know, you, the terrain is always moving. But the way in which the device moves across the snow, snowboarding is very much a surfing feeling. Skiing can have that surfy feel, but because you're facing downhill and going directly down the fall line versus across it, as you're often doing in snowboarding, uh, it's a very different feeling. It also has, the two have very different learning curves. I like to say that skiing is generally easier 
to be a intermediate than it is snowboarding. And I mean that both like physically and just emotionally on your body. Falling on a snowboard those first couple of times is very hard. There's a, basically a fulcrum movement, call it a scorpion, lots of different funny, funny terms to basically describe what it feels like when somebody grabs your feet Ooh. and you're still moving, <laughs> right? That's why you um, see young guys doing it a lot. Yeah. But once you get on a snowboard, you find that it's generally easier for someone to progress to a higher level afterwards, where skiing is so technical beyond that intermediate level that it, it takes generally a longer period of time for people to become, you know, what I'd call expert skiers versus expert snowboarders, if that okay. makes sense. There are other trends in mountain sports, such as snowcat skiing and heli-skiing. Can you tell us a little bit about those two? Sure. You know, everyone's always looking for the next adventure. And, you know, backcountry is one way to get outside of the controlled environments or the, the groom trails, but that's human powered. So you're only basically able to go where your legs can take you and, you know, in daylight with a snowcat or with a helicopter, obviously you can get much farther and do a lot more in a shorter period of time. What is a snowcat, by the way? Explain that. It's basically two snowmobiles side by side with a cab in the middle. Think of it Ooh, that way. <laughs> so it's it. like a big truck for oh, that, boy. That goes on snow. So yeah, it's really adventurous. Heli skiing has been around for forever. It's just become much more accessible. And you drop um, people off at a mountain and correct. You basically go, right? get in a helicopter and fly to the peak of a mountain, get dropped off, ski down, get picked back that up country. in a helicopter, and do it again. Sounds fun. It, it's pretty for the incredible. right people. For the right it, people. Have you done it? A, yes, I have. It's exhilarating. Oh. <laughs> You don't jump out of the helicopter. They land. Oh, uh, no. They, they, <laughs> that would be, I'm just checking. Okay. Unless Red Bull is there with a camera, you're not jumping okay. out of the helicopter. Very good. Now, do most people rent equipment? And what are some suggestions for gear? Equipment has changed so dramatically in the years. And I'd say that the percentage of people who rent has increased pretty significantly over the last, you know, call it 10 or 20 years, mostly because it allows you not to have to keep up with buying new gear as the gear gets more innovative. The second one is just the whole sharing economy. You know, the people are much more comfortable with borrowing gear, borrowing equipment, cars, scooters, bicycles. You used to um, do it with bowling shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Always, right? <laughs> so it is a great way for any skier of any ability to get to a destination much easier. You don't have to travel with gear and try different and new gear all the time and progress without having to make what can be a thousand dollar investment in your own right. gear. What makes a great ski resort or a great ski area? So everyone has their own belief system on this one, right? I can share you mine. I'd say if I'm going skiing frequently, it's it's accessibility, right? It needs to be easy to get to. You said Vernon Valley, right? Vernon Valley Great Gorge, now known as Mountain Creek, I believe, is in existence today because it's incredibly accessible to exactly. tens of millions of people, right? <laughs> location, location, <laughs> location, location, location. So that's what makes that ski area great. You know, I don't think anyone tell you the snow quality at that ski area would be awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> or, or having lived in Vernon, New Jersey, the nightlife, right? No, no. But then when you go on a vacation or you want to be on a destination and stay overnight, you know, you're going to look at much more than the snow, the accessibility. You're going to look at the snow quality, right? The chances of fresh snow, the food and lodging, both cost maybe, or the diversity. And then on the hill, it really depends on the group you travel with. One of my favorite ski areas in the world is Vail. There's no place on earth like it, right? And it has a lot to do with, I ski with a lot of different people and a lot of different abilities. And it's a mountain that basically from any run, any skier of any ability can have an amazing rundown every single time. It's built that way. So diversity of terrain is another one. 
And then obviously lots of opportunities around accessibility too. There's amazing resort destinations in Idaho and Montana as well, but they get a little bit harder to get to than, you know, some of the ski areas outside Salt Lake City, which are literally a half hour drive from the airport. Right. Access to airports is always great when you travel. You don't think of it first, but it's very important when you want to get home. Après ski, you mentioned before, how would you define après ski? Again, I think it depends on uh, who's on your left and who's on your right. As a father of two kids, oftentimes my après is how close is the hot tub? Is there delivery? (laughs) And can I sleep quickly, right? In my younger years, I used to travel a ton to Vermont and Killington because I could be out till, you know, 12 or one in the morning, having a really great time with my friends and, you know, easy, easy access back to where I needed to sleep for the night. So Apre means something different to lots of different people. There are really great towns that offer diversity of Apre, be it right after the hill with an acoustic singer in a bar to, as I said, you know, slopeside hot tubs to maybe even a movie. Mm-hmm. I think people who don't ski, who accompany skiers are more interested perhaps in that aspect of what to do when you're not skiing. So yeah, that's something to think about as well. Now let's discuss a couple of your favorite international ski resorts and ski areas. What would you recommend? The two that come to the top of the list from the U.S., but because it's in North America, but I'll, I'll mention Whistler Blackcomb. It's a good segue, right? Whistler is ginormous. It's probably the best word to describe it. It has a, a tram that connects from one peak to the other. There's an option to take a glass bottom version of that tram. And if it doesn't scare oh. the bejesus out of you, then good for you. But it is incredibly high, an incredibly large mountain, great diversity of nightlife and apres, relatively easy access out of Vancouver. But what makes it great is it's, you know, basically 5,000 vertical feet of skiing. So there's almost always guaranteed good snow, the higher you get up and the diversity of the skiing, there's terrain for everyone. And then there's terrain for very few people. And there's not a lot of mountains in the world that have the type of extreme off-piste terrain that Whistler has. And it's the closest experience you can get to a very European centric AT or off-piste experience in North America. The other thing Whistler has is accessible daily heli skiing, which is an incredible journey. You know, my next favorite in Europe would be Verbier, also known as the Four Vals. And it's the quintessential European ski experience. It's really not a ski area in the way we think about it here in the U.S., where you pull up to a parking lot or to a lodge and there's a mountain in front of you with a bunch of lifts and you ski them. It's really basically interconnected communities of high alpine living. And those communities are literally connected by skiing. My personal ski experience there led me on a journey off piece that took me about 20 miles as the, as the crow flies from one end of the valley to the other to have a bowl of soup at the end of the day. Wow. I ended up skiing down the side of a dam mm. that was <laughs> built during World War II. That's damn power. good. Yeah. And had to take a bus, two trams, four chairlifts, a surface lift, and a train to get back to where I started. It was wow. an incredible experience. Amazing. Yeah. There are others like that. There's Courcheval. Yeah, Courcheval, Val d'Isère. You know, Val d'Isère yeah. is the, probably the most famous, right? You've got the, the Matterhorn there in the background. and Well, Zermatt is the city near there. So yeah. You're wonderful. You're talking about villages and towns. That's a, a great one. Yeah, to do things. Well. Geneva. I mean, it's just, it's All around, in, you know, yeah. When, yeah, it's just, it's really, for those that are into the Nordic Alpine experience, there's nothing like being in these European villages yeah. and experiencing it. What about Japan? There's a place you like very much. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, most people that are experienced skiers you know, hear, hear the word Japan, their mind immediately goes to Japan, which really describes the northern part of Japan, Sapporo. 
where powder skiing has been brought to the masses through the ski movies every year. The amount of snow they get in Northern Japan, the, the quality of the powder is incredibly high, very hard to get to. My skiing experience is a little more pedestrian. I was on a business trip in Tokyo for over a weekend and my, my team that I was working with at the time took me on a bullet train out to a ski area that's just an hour outside of Tokyo. It's called Naiba. And it literally, as you mentioned, it's the Vernon Valley of Tokyo. It's just an hour from the city. Tons of people get out there every weekend to ski, experience the, the Nordic lifestyle. They get a tremendous amount of snow, but their elevation is incredibly low. So the quality of that snow can be very questionable. And probably the most interesting thing about that area and, and just the culture of skiing, how different it is, is the trails are literally lined with ropes and no one would dare enter the back country or side country, oh, that's... Um, despite how good the snow might be. Very so it cultural. Just tells you, very yeah. cultural. And it, yeah. it, and it does, it, you know, it shows you how cultural skiing is mm-hmm. and how it gets adapted and evolved, you know, from region to region. How about summer skiing in South America? What are a couple? Yeah, lots of folks live their life chasing snow and they spend their winters in, in the mountains of Colorado and then they spend their summers or they spend winter number two in the mountains of the Andes at Portillo and things like that. I've actually had the privilege of, of skiing here in North America in the summer. I used to spend my summers as a kid on Mount Hood in Oregon, skiing the glacier there. At the time, it was an incredible experience, a great way to progress as an athlete and super fun to just ski and ski from eight to 12 in the morning when the snow's good and then go rafting and mountain climbing and biking in the sun. Cool. Now, you mentioned Vail already. It's one of your favorites. A few other top U.S. ski resorts that you'd recommend? No, no list would be appropriate without Jackson Hole. In Wyoming. Uh, in, but, in Wyoming. Yeah. Very much big mountain skiing. You know, some of the best skiers in the world. Obviously, Corbett's Guar, which is you know, one of the most famous cliffs in all of skiing in the world. Very fun to just watch people peer over the edge or peer over the edge yourself if you're not going to take the adventure. Snowbird in Utah. Again, super easy to get to from the airport. Incredible skiing, incredible snow, interconnected with another ski area called Alta. I've gotten older. I've gotten a little bit more family know, oriented, family oriented, maybe <laughs> just pampered. Oh, uh, and okay. for me, no list is complete without Deer Valley. Only for skiers, still not open to snowboarders. And the Icon Pass has made it a little more accessible, but an incredible experience to ski groomers, to eat incredible food, to have amazing views, being in a great little city. I'm a big fan of Deer Valley. I, I will admit. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Where else? Uh, Colorado local can't not mention Arapahoe Basin. You know, oh, keep yeah. it real. That's called Still, A Bay, you know, right? Local A Basin, right? There lots of lots of the beach, lots of different ways. In fact, my my dog is actually named after one of the most famous chairlifts here in Colorado, called the Pally Lift. Great skiing early and late. You know, they'll open in October. They'll ski through May, sometimes into June. I actually skied on my son's birthday, which is June twentieth, once here in Colorado, yeah. which was incredible. Call it the white ribbon of death early on in the season, but there's nothing like getting out on, you know, on skis after a hot summer. And you can always count on team at A-Basin to get that resort open and ready to rock early. Now, you haven't mentioned any Eastern skiing resorts. Uh, what's the oh, difference? Yeah. I know I, I grew up in the East. I lived in the East. What's the problem there mainly? I would say a problem. I mean, I've skied, you know, I think I mentioned Killington earlier, incredible nightlife. I ski raced all throughout the Northeast as a kid. So I know the areas very, very well. I taught my kids to ski at in New Hampshire at Gunstock, which is a great family mountain in New Hampshire. Well, you know, my favorite ski area in, in the East is probably Sunday River. In Maine. Mostly because uh, in Maine, mostly because it's it's the best simulation of a Western experience. Long, wide runs, you know, good natural snow at times, very well spread out, lots of different peaks. Went through tremendous investments in the 80s and 90s to expand. 
little bit of a pain to get to. A couple of others that I'll throw out there that, that you know you kind of can't get away from would be Jay Peak, you know, in northern Vermont. Been through some interesting financial times if you you follow along, but now kind of outside of those, it's they get the most snow uh, of all the resorts. They have you know a tram, which is really super cool. Uh, again, hard to get to, so not that busy, but really great snow. And you mentioned it, you know, I'll, I can't not say it. Vernon Valley Great Gorge slash. Well, we're giving not, them a lot of yeah. attention. It's hard. I'm a Jersey guy. So, I, know. Uh, I, I spent more time on that mountain as a kid. I know. The, so beginners, uh, you know, for a lot of people, we started. It's the in, gateway, right? Yeah, the <laughs> gateway. The gateway place. Well, the name of the podcast is Places I Remember. So, Harvey, please give us a personal memory of a special skiing experience. For me, I alluded to it earlier. So a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of being in Whistler Black Home with a group. And uh, one day they surprised us with a trip in the heli. So we took a, about an hour van ride to find the helicopter. So it was staged very far from the mountain. It had not snowed in Whistler in about three weeks, but it had been unusually cold. So when we got in the heli, we went up and the, the guide decided to go to a location that was another 40-minute flight from where we found the helicopter because they hadn't been there in years. They had done so much powder skiing recently that they needed to go a little further out to find untracked snow. And they were hopeful that had, because it had been so cold for so long that the snow would be good. I can tell you eight lift rides in the helicopter later, our day was done. They had to change our guide out after six runs because she could no longer keep up with us uh, and needed to tap out because normal day is six helicopter rides. Oh my God. And to this date, the, the group I went with and I, you know, look at the pictures, speak of the memories and talk about recreating it. And it's one of those things, you know, no trip will ever be as good as that one. It'll be good in some different way. It was my first time in it, you know, doing the heli skiing. And I can't wait to take my kids in a similar experience before my body gives out. That's beautiful. Do, yeah. Do it before your body yep. gives out. That's one of the rules of travel. Yeah. Memories are great. They stay forever. Yep. Well, thank you, Harvey Bierman, Chief Digital Officer at Christie Sports. You've given us a great overview of skiing. It's cool and it's hot and it's an invigorating pastime that we can combine with travel for a terrific vacation. Thank you so much. And maybe I'll see you on the slope sometime, maybe in Vernon Valley, but it's not called that anymore. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember, so follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, PlacesIRememberLeahLane.com, and keep making your own travel memories. 